Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. What's up, everybody? And welcome to Talking TED Talks, where we're going to be looking at the TED Talk, The Brain in Love. So stay tuned. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Woo! Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking <laughs> TED Talks. We are going to be diving into the brain in love. My name is Yasmin Tanris, and sadly, my co-host, Jesse Janity, isn't here today, but he will be back, not next week, because don't forget, next week is the 4th of July celebration time, and so we'll be back the following week, though, Um, so I definitely want to introduce who we have here in our studio today at Afterbirth, as we're going to talk all about love. She's a prolific author, but before I introduce her, I'm going to be talking briefly about the TED Talk, the speaker, Helen Fisher, who's a biological anthropologist. You might question what that is, because I was a little bit confused about that too. But having looked into her research and background, she's also the chief scientific advisor of Match.com, which is a dating website. And she's an author of six books um, that dive deep into the evolution and future of human sex, love, marriage, gender differences in the brain, and how your personality personality style shapes who you are and who you love. Um, her articles have been published on the National Geographic, The Economist, o, The Oprah Magazine, Time Magazine, and Psychology Today. And now our guest in studio is Tamen Jadad. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here on Talking Ted Talks. An absolute pleasure. So Tamen here, she's an entrepreneur focusing on socializing theories from philosophy, psychology, medicine, and business development for people to be able to live their life through the to the fullest potential whilst making a living as well. She's written two books. You're such a young author as well, so it's truly fascinating, really incredible, such a success already. And the first book was um, Beginning from the End, which touches upon the research that you've had behind it is about um, early stages of life and the end of life. Yes. Right. So it's end of life care and systems, like healthcare systems, based off of, you know, how you can have the best quality of life throughout your entire life and especially at the end. So no wonder as to your field of being an entrepreneur and then diving deep into that subject, it really translates as well into now your second book, Everything You Need to Know About Love, Almost. And it's such a beautiful book. And you mentioned Helen Fisher in it as well. So I want to go into that page where you have um, the quote here, which I think you should actually introduce your book itself. Yeah, for and sure. how did you come across Helen Fisher as well? Yeah, so uh, this is my book, Everything You Need to Know About Love, almost. And um, it kind of started, 
you know, obviously very early in my inception, my conception, um, <laughs> my parents are best friends and, um, and they decided to get married, uh, like me and, um, with my best friend. Um, and through life, you know, love has been such an important part of our life growing up, but also, you know, in the lives of many people. And, um, I studied business management in Kings in London and, um, and, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but obviously love was essential for me as well. And the question came to mind of, you know, is it possible to be successful in business and in your romantic relationships? Because consistently you see stories of how relationships fall apart or fail or break apart or, you know, for several different reasons, though I felt like I heard it more in the community of entrepreneurs and, um, um, and you know, high-level business people. So I actually started to study uh, as a final year dissertation whether it was possible for young, successful entrepreneurs to have a successful romantic life as well. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, can you have the cake and eat it? Mm-hmm. And, um, and because it was really important for me personally as a young entrepreneur, but then also kind of as someone who wanted to have love in my life as well. So I had a group of, of really interesting top entrepreneurs across the U.S. and in the world that I asked about, you know, how they've developed their businesses and kind of parts of how they've been able to develop their romantic relationships. And I was actually quite stunned, shocked in a, in a, you know, bit of a sad and worried way mm-hmm. that actually 82% of them weren't able to have a romantic relationship because of their businesses. Mm. So, and that was for uh, people who were, you know, dating, but also for those who were even married as well. So I thought that was quite shocking and I wanted to kind of deep dive deeper into this. So first I was, I was thinking, what is love, Right. That's a big question. Multi-dollar question right there. And I appreciate how you delve into 5,000 years worth of ideas of exploring that question. Exactly. Is there an ultimate answer? So, good question. And that was kind of what the whole exploration of the book was, was answering what is love through those 5,000 years of history and contributions. And right off from the start, I realized that love isn't purely romantic, right? It, you love your friends, you love your family, right? You love your community. And that is not romantic, right? So there's so much more to it that I feel that society doesn't emphasize as often and should start to recognize and put up on a pedestal. So all in all, it actually is much more approachable than we think, because love can often seem a little daunting and be charged with responsibility and fear Mm -hmm. and pain, right? And all these things that we hear Helen, you know, speaking about, Dr. Fisher speaking about, is precisely about the emotional charge that comes with love, right? And, And actually, it's more of an ability towards goodness, um, mm. than, than actually an emotion. So really through studying these things, you constantly hear that emphasis on, on wishing good, right. doing good, seeing good, and feeling good. And it's the ability to do those things. And that's what's been highlighted. Wow. There. I feel like you've already used four pow- powerful phrases or wordings to basically attach to love. Because I guess with love, there's 
there's a sense of emotion and attachment and labeling to it that can be daunting, as mm -hmm. you've touched upon. And it's interesting to see you speaking and, and being curious about it and having researched it. And now Dr. Helen Fisher herself is going more into the narrative of business and leadership and innovation, the chemical reactions within our brains as to how what makes somebody um be in those positions of leadership and what triggers them. Um, and so I think what you've just done there about finding the balance of that narrative of an entrepreneur who is struggling to actually feel, receive and apply love. And, that, and it's just so important because what what is life without love? Exactly. And and I feel that also breaking it down to the in that sense, you're able to actually practice it and get better at it because that's often a big question as well is kind of, you know, how do I get better at loving or kind of, you know, how do I start to apply more love in my life? And by having those components, it's actually easier to implement in your life, right? Because you're like, am I seeing good? Am I doing good, right? Am I feeling good, mm -hmm. right? And am I, you know, seeing good? Right? So we want to go into um, Helen Fisher, how she, through, let's say, those encompassing words, the she does more of a structural behavior and chemical response analysis, having put 75 people under an MRI scan. Um, it was, was it 17 of them had just fallen madly in love, 15 had just been dumped, whereas 17 are still in love after an average of 21 years. And that still ignites the same uh, region within the brain of releasing the dopamine. I want to know first of what did you think about that and the talk itself? Also, do you think she was appropriate to speak upon, upon the subject? Yeah, I think that's that's so charged and an amazing question because it kind of links to many elements that, well, we can go into the history. So essentially, um, if you think she kept specifying, let's yeah, yes. let's reel it back. Let's reel it back. <laughs> so essentially, she kept specifying that it was romantic love, which I thought was amazing because, as we know, there are many types of love. So if you actually go to what romantic means, you can clearly see that Roman is in there and it's for a reason. So it actually comes from a, a French word from like the 1600s to do with like a book, a story, a novel, a roman, right? And, um, and that actually comes from a narrative of or in the style, like in the Roman style. But when they're talking about this Roman style, it actually refers to, um, you know, these poets and these writers in the Roman times, right? So in like 70 BCE and like to 17 CE, which is the time period of Ovid, actually. So Ovid was one of the most prolific and most read widely and most copied Roman poets. And he's known for writing Amores, um, Ars am Amatoria, and Heroides. Latin, and, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, um, and actually, like, Ars Amatoria is precisely about how to find a woman 
Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's it, like he really speaks about love in a romantic sense, which wasn't um, what love was before that. So when you're looking pre Roman times, it's more to do with duty and spirituality. Right. So it's more to do with faith and with spirituality and duty to your family versus romantic love. So this whole romantic love comes then inspired by, you know, these poets in the Roman times, these Latin poets, and they actually get revived in the Renaissance period. And that's so Renaissance would not be the same without poets like Ovid, you know, Mm -hmm. and Shakespeare and uh, Goethe and Chaucer are all um, inspired by Ovid's work. So um, like Ars uh, Amartya, which I was talking about, is like it's three books. And the first one talks about how to find the right woman. The second one is how to keep her, how to keep her interested, you know, remember her birthday, you know, pretend like play a little bit coy. So all of Even these back things in those times. exactly is there, and then the third one is how women can find and keep men. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to to see that, and that gets revived in the Renaissance period. So that's like seventeen hundreds, fourteen hundreds or so, and um, that's where you have all these like beautiful paintings and be- beautiful like um, dramas mm-hmm. come about there. Um, so that started to open the the possibility of having romantic love, mm. right? Though that then that period as well, you get Darwin, right? Oh, Which is so then goes very, into the biology and evolution. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, because you have Darwin and you have the Enlightenment period. Mm-hmm. Because the Enlightenment period and kind of the French Revolution and the American Revolution at that time, people were starting to assert their ability to be able to be happy and to enjoy their lives and to be able to you know choose what they wanted and that echoed very strongly in terms of romance and who you decided to marry. So you see, you know, you also see like Jane Austen writing in that Mm -hmm. period as well. Mm -hmm. And so then when Darwin came in, it kind of shook things up. And this is where it very much links to what Helen Fisher is talking about, because we needed to have Darwin to be able to speak about what Dr. Helen Fisher is speaking about, right? To have kind of, she's talking about that primal part of you, you know, like that reptilian brain, like in the VTA, right? Yes, which is the brain associated with craving, aka cocaine, which apparently is romantic love is a worse addiction in a sense it's no not worse Mm. more intense exactly exactly (laughs) exactly with like a very difficult come down shall we say yes exactly (laughs) with cocaine or whatever you apparently have these really bad come downs (laughs) yeah and with love it's just like a constant high Mm. determination and it's like somebody camping in your head which i thought was hilarious when helen fisher said that it's Mm -hmm. true that you really once you start to be attracted or like somebody it's like you have this compulsive obsession Mm -hmm. Which is like a drug in a sense. Exactly, exactly. And that's what's really interesting is that now linking it to kind of being able to see that, uh, people started to argue saying, okay, so if we are, because Darwin essentially revolutionized this, like, yes, saying the evolution of species, but also the fact that we are related to, you know, sapi- like to, to um, you know, uh, like, to mammals and other animals exactly like that in- we aren't exactly that we aren't created uh like div- divinely created necessarily right. so that's that's what he started to argue there and um and then that started to people started to associate these these elements in terms of love okay well you don't see you know monkeys staying in you know uh, monogamous relationships right. and staying you know true to each other right so what does that say about us and is this really natural or not so that whole 
whole kind of more biological and, you know, psychological and, Mm -hmm. you know, chemistry, uh, a chemical kind of perspective started to come about there. But also there are a couple you know, red flags possibly to speaking about love as an addiction, right? Because when you start talking about addictions, that automatically starts to implicate uh, healthcare systems, public health, mm-hmm. right? It's Mental to, health. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So it's kind of like if you start treating it as a drug, as like as an addiction or as a drug, then you start getting these institutions and it becomes medicalized, mm-hmm. right? So if we, if we now have these perspectives, because they're quite recent, right? So, right. I mean, there's still time to develop these things, though. If you have this perspective as, of it as an addiction, then, you know, who knows, maybe in the future, if this perspective is continued... We'll have pills like for, you know, anti-love, like, you know, de-love, right? Well, like for breakups or, uh, you know. Doesn't she mention at one point if you take um, serotonin associated drugs or medication, that that can really suppress your sex drive, even certain emotions of, of like feelings of love and things like that. So I feel like there's already things out there that are putting a patch and having a detrimental effect in that realm. Yeah, exactly. And that's quite, you know, that takes you aback in terms of how you speak of it, right? And that's why I worked so hard in creating this concept with my family, right, was how to describe love in a way that doesn't become an addiction, right? Because then that, you know, then it could be medicalized, right? Then you have like all these moral dilemmas as well. You know, do you create that love potion, Mm -hmm. right? If you understand exactly what is going on in the brain chemically, could you induce those feelings, right? Or could you suppress them? And Mm. then how do you treat it, right? Is it then an illness as you see in like Shakespeare's writing and kind of, you know, back then as well, right? So it's, it's very interesting to kind of have that perspective there. What I think was also very um, interesting that Fisher says is your obsession gets worse upon rejection. And Mm -hmm. then then there's a poem or a line that she mentions, the less my hope, the higher my love. And that is related to somebody just being within your head the whole time. Do you find that to be true? Um, I mean, that that actually that poet was uh, actually wrote that around the same time as Ovid, which is very interesting, Um, though. I mean, if you look at. hmm, I mean, I get that, though, if we talk about love being an ability, Mm -hmm. naturally, it's harder to do that when you are not with them to wish good, do good, see good and feel good towards them. You know, with that separation, it becomes harder. So I totally understand that, you know, it might it might be almost like magnets, you know, like that, that you start to feel it and you feel it when you're kind of closer as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe there is that there. Well, then what about the concept of there's obviously varying degrees of love right Mm -hmm. um and then there's like moments in which you can get into bed with somebody and you fall in love with them or it takes time or it's instant so with all those different degrees what what lessons can you share and this is down to romantic love Mm -hmm. right um that you have found that can help an individual to distinguish the sentiments because i also find that with the obsession Mm -hmm. um you know that can really drive somebody insane and she even mentions this nobody gets um, out of love like, alive exactly. out of love alive <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, people kill for love mm-hmm. or like if you are rejected from let's say a hookup like you're not going to fall into bad depression depression or you know anything that's very intense as if you are rejected from love yeah well i mean something that 
I think is really important, like for this kind of perspective of love and this kind of understanding is that, you know, that like romantic love is one kind of love. And yes, love is so viscerally important for us precisely because it relates to our survival. Right. It's normal to know that, you know, it's it's instinctively in us that alone we are very vulnerable, though, as we have a greater community or when we're in pairs, we have better chances. Right. So so that that fear that, you know, that drive and that need for connection and that fear of being separated could possibly be that element of, oh, my gosh, can I survive? Will I be all right? It's it's a fear for your life. It almost feels that intense, if you know what I mean. So I think it's important, you know, to kind of to to quelch that a little, to kind of subside that a little. You can start to think about other types of love, right, that cultivate your friendships in this like in the with this amount of dedication and this amount of care and purpose, right? Cultivate your family relationships, even by choice, right? That's what we do as a family is that we believe that we have family by choice, by memes, by genes, <laughs> right? And by chance, mm-hmm. right? And, that's, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, this is a type of love that you have that increases that survival and increases, you know, your ability to kind of mm-hmm. manage that, right? If you're depend, if your survival depends on one person, you will feel an, an immense amount of intensity. And attachment. Exactly, exactly. And, and now that you're talking about this, um, it's making me think, you know, because there are a plethora amount of humans on this earth. It's mm-hmm. like, why do we feel this sense of fear of if we don't have that, let's say, that mating partner? Because that's mm-hmm. how essentially like we are like animals in a sense that we're built to sort of find that partner that we can breed with, mm-hmm. right? But it's like, it's not always going to work out within humanity. And especially nowadays, there's just too many choices and apps and options and uh-huh. you know, and access, let's say. But it's like, what is it that can calm a person's mind to think, okay, this is not working out and you have to just acknowledge it. Stop obsessing over it. Mm-hmm. So what you're explaining there is to really turn to your peers, yeah. family, that provides you another form of love support. Exactly. That and as well that, you know, romantic love is part of having a good life. Right. And that's really the work that we do as a family as well is is questioning what is a good life and how do you make it right? Because people are constantly chasing go, go more and more and more. Right. But to what end? It's almost like chasing the horizon. So we've worked to kind of define what are those key elements that you can kind of look at and say, I made it, you know, and have that tranquility. And love is a part of that, right? And everybody wants to have a full life, a good life. That's why we're doing a lot of what we do, right? It's to live well, right? So love is a part of that, though we need to also put focus on other parts of having a full life. And sometimes, like, part of a full life is this exhilaration, you know, your ability to take risks, right? So maybe... So love Love. is risk-taking, too. Exactly, exactly. So, But there are other ways of having that risk, right? So if that's something that you enjoy is kind of the exhilaration of, you know, of, of like the chase and stuff, you can also do that in other areas of your life right. so you don't I mean, that's like a career as well do what you love or no, exactly Chase your exactly your exactly dreams, your love. yeah or like mm, extreme sports yes. or you yes. know yes. Right? hobbies and exactly such. that can kind of fill you in those ways and it's kind of opening your perspective because as helen was showing that love isn't unique 
to human beings, right? Love is something that you can see expressed in animals, in many different yeah. animals, right? And vice versa, humans to animals as well, exactly. even animals to humans. Exactly, exactly. The something that I think is uniquely human is our ability to self-sabotage. Mm. Ooh, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So <laughs> it's very important to talk yes. about this. Because, <laughs> I mean, I feel that love is ripe with so many opportunities to self-sabotage, you know, either through our insatiability, constantly wanting more, you know, more options or more affection or more gifts or more time. Goes or down to the apps you know, again exactly, the exactly. And it's just like more and more and more. That's a key way that yeah. our insatiability and our, you know, how we are destroying ourselves, how we're being self-destructive in these tendencies, right? So I think it's important to kind of look at that as well. And when you're feeling so intensely, to take that moment and, you know, really question what is going on, you know, is this love, you know, like, are you wishing good, doing good, seeing good and feeling mm -hmm. good, right? While loving yourself, that's mm -hmm. kind of the essence of feeling good is being able to protect yourself while you are loving, right? right? Um, and feeling fulfilled as well. Exactly. It's basically enough. Like, why do you need more, 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 more? Because yeah. sometimes we'll, some people will feel like, okay, maybe I can do better or... I think I just wanted to touch upon um, Fisher. She she does mention as well, and and this kind of goes a, a little bit into a different direction of of romantic love, sure. but it does propel into it, mm. and it's as such of. Um, Fisher believes that men and women often engage in hooking up mm -hmm. to unconsciously trigger these feelings of romance and attachment. Mm -hmm. So unconsciously triggering these feelings. What, what do you make of that? And why does it work for some in the long run and not for others all of a sudden? Mm -hmm. Because she really dives into this whole like, okay, so here's the way that the brain functions. It releases dopamine within the, how the do you VTA. say that? The reptilian, oh, the reptilian core. core. Exactly. And it just vertebrates all over your brain, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, okay, once you have that experience with a partner, a new partner, and you just don't really know where that's going into, um, why, why does that trigger those feelings of romance? Well, I mean, it comes down to so many things, right? A lot of factors. And that's why she talks about how it's very difficult to even decide, like, how, what is the science be behind how we choose who we choose? Because a lot of it is chance, right? Like, everything that's happened in your life that led up to that point that makes this person even someone that's right in this time, right? Or that you would even consider, right? Even scents in the air, like pheromones and, you know, all this can be sensed, even though we don't consciously sense it our brain is computing that right but then also like the physical elements of it as well and then kind of our our very primitive elements of you know needing for affection and closeness and you know that security and numbers so that can definitely you have so many factors at play that can that can trick you right and and that's what's so difficult about love is that you never know whether it's right, like no one knows, you know, in the moment, whether it's right or wrong, it's always through hindsight that you start to make sense of everything. And, right? and that's something else that she touches upon. It's mm -hmm. like you start to then calculate what went wrong, where, why, how did I fail? It's mm -hmm. like kind of like a test or something yeah, there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's why that's why I think that gives you the opportunity to story forward. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So this is like history. And then you can also look forward and you can store your relationship in a certain way. Right. So by being purposeful in terms of what kind of story do you want to live Right. And make sure that they have a story that's aligned with that is a good way of of knowing whether things are going to go in the direction that you'd like, even in a very, a very explicit way. Like I've had this conversation with my husband, like we've actually talked about what kind of genre we would oh, like our I life to be. That. Wait, what kind of genre did you pick? <laughs> um, uh, like a, a romance comedy, like a, a rom-com. A rom-com. Sure, oh, sure. yeah. I'll, I'll tune into yeah, that. Exactly. Like, I want to live a rom-com. I don't want to live a drama a thriller you know a dramedy like, <laughs> not even a dramedy well, no. a rom-com is a cool, rom-com right? yeah rom-com is Rom-com's cool nice. right? like it feels good. And, yeah. yeah that's that's perfect for me right <laughs> and i mean he seems to be on board with that as well which is which so then you had this of, conversation exactly how did that go down did you say look heavy we got to talk about our, our narrative yeah <laughs> i was well i was just kind of curious i was like How do you, how, like, how would you like to live your life? Like, what story, like, what style of life would you like to live? And now at what stage did you feel comfortable to even bring such a topic up? I think that's, that's a good question. I mean, we were best friends for seven years before we got married. So, like, best friends. So, I mean, we've always had so much confidence and, like, so much, like, comfort to speak to each other openly. And I feel like that is absolutely essential. And it cannot be repeated more, you know, that seriously there needs to be that close friendship, you know, for anything else to really flourish. And you need to kind of have that, you know, complete ease to speak about anything, to talk about anything and to laugh through everything, right? Because it's all about your attitude towards it. Of course, that all depends off of, you know, the story you want to live, right? Because if you do want to live a drama, then maybe, you know, be conflictive, you know, be very volatile. Great, right? If that is what you want to live, do that, commit to it, but also have a partner who wants the same. Who's a part of that. Exactly, exactly. If you want, if someone that you're with wants kind of like a spy film action, then, you know, you need to be up for that as well or want that as well and kind of pair yourselves that way so you know it's very much to do with like with with that element and then you can kind of at least they say you know the future cannot be predicted but it's possible that you could create it mm-hmm. right well so, it's almost as if you know you're already setting the foundations of what are your values what is, mm-hmm. what is your purpose mm-hmm. uh, not just as a soul person as an individual but you and this together exactly and like the tone of it mm-hmm. as well right ah, you know so it's not just setting the genre mm-hmm. you're setting the tone mm-hmm. and characters yeah like to an extent because you're you're seeing yourself so you can advise yourself you're the viewer of this story but you're also the main character right and you're also kind of so you do know. you sidestep yourself sometimes in a, in a form of course like look at yourself from a third perspective you should. you should especially you know like as an avid movie watcher you can definitely like predict where your story is going right mm-hmm. i mean we've all watched so many movies and we know the narratives that life that that characters go through and you can do that with your life and you can choose right so it's kind of like are you going to get super pissed off and you know throw this all to hell and you know find somebody else mm-hmm. or are you going to laugh it off and just kind of poke fun at it make it a joke and right. fix it right you know so and you can all, kind of yeah yeah it's yeah. a matter of you choosing your own hero's journey exactly Exactly. So then I guess like that would lead me on to my next question of why do you fall in love with one rather than another? Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a social construct, right? It, it mm-hmm. all comes down to how we've been, you know, 
how culture has influenced us, right? Because, I, I mean, even during, like, the Enlightenment period or during, like, the Royal French period, it was common to, like, for the king to have mistresses and, you know, that family and, like, wives were for kids and reproduction, right? So there were different, and that was totally fine and completely acceptable, right? And you hear of, like, harems and you hear Attila the Hun and you hear mm-hmm. all these stories, right? Cleopatra and, exactly. and Caesar, they built, I mean, they got married based upon creating peace. It was exactly. a Exactly, exactly. So you see all these things that are very foreign to our reality now. And this is all due to like social constructs and actually um, a a psychologist and a sociologist, a professor, a British professor, uh, Gibbons, Giddens, he um, <laughs> he actually talked about how novels, how narrative, like romantic narratives have actually shaped how we build our relationships now, right? So it's mm-hmm. very much that it's a social construct and we can choose how we want to do it. And we're seeing so many choices mm-hmm. now, more and more, right? Do you think, though, the direction that the social construct is heading into due to the digital era? Mm-hmm. Because I know we... Sp- Spoken at a, we, I moderated a panel where you were on, and it was mm-hmm. about modern love surviving connection in the digital era. Yes. Do you think it's heading in a healthy direction? Well, I mean, it's kind of what what I was speaking about precisely that, you know, we want certain things and the form in which they come will constantly change, right? And that's what we were speaking about initially as well that, you know, we want that kind of that that tribal feeling, you know, that connection. We want to have someone we can rely on, confide on, trust our life with, you know. And that's really what love is about is, you know, that extreme, you know, goodness that you wish for them and they wish for you, right? It's that it's that intensity of that. And we all want that, whether the form is changing, whether it comes in like different partner groups or collectives or you know like it depends where that's coming from it's about protecting what's underneath it which is that connection you know that goodness that love mm-hmm. right so the form that it comes in shouldn't be our focus necessarily but we should focus on like what is the value what is you know what is it, it that it we're actually right? getting out of it exactly um so helen also mentions and she ends on this note love is in all of us Mm-hmm. The challenge is just to understand each other. Yes. Um, and then the question was, having researched all about love like yourself, if that has made you believe in a certain way of love or like deconstructed your mind of love, do you also even see love? Do you pick up on it when two people are together like, oh, they're so in love? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see it for sure. Like you can you can definitely see it. And I think we all have that antenna for feeling it. And we need to turn it inwards as well. And as cliche as it is to hear it now more often, which I'm super happy that you hear it more often, the self-love element that you need to also turn it towards yourself, right? To echo back to the whole self-sabotage that we're talking about is to, is to love yourself as well, you know, and to, and to really capture that and to do and practice that with yourself and others to Mm -hmm. be able to, to then do that. So, Mm -hmm. um, we usually do a a Twitter poll. Mm -hmm. 
So we had three questions this yes. week and a little bit based upon what Helen Fisher had brought up in her talk, which was about, have you ever been rejected by someone you really love? And have you ever dumped someone who really loved you? And in her findings, it was 95% yes to both. Okay. Um, so the first question, have you ever been rejected by someone you thought loved you? 92% said yes, 8% said no. Um, have you ever dumped someone who loved you? 79% sorry yes 79% said yes and 21% said no um, so I was really surprised when I did see that a little bit just because I you know I, th I think it's very humbling to see some people who are in it because they won't dump somebody if they love them they'll still stick with it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's like, you know, there's a major difference within that. Um, so what are you, what are your thoughts about if somebody is in a relationship that they know they shouldn't be in, but because they, that person needs them and loves them that they still stick with it? Yeah. I mean, the, like one of the most wise people in my life, <laughs> my mother, she always says, and I stand by this absolutely. And I mean, maternal love is everything. Seriously. Like if that's anything I can leave with as well, is that maternal love is a model that we need. And what she said always is it's better to be by yourself than in bad company. Yes. <laughs> right. And, and honestly, like the light that comes out of you when you are in good company or by yourself, which is also company, right? Be good company for yourself, right? And so don't be in bad company. So I think that it's better to, you know, like a bandage, just do it, right? And and kind of be able to build that goodness that you want to do sooner rather than later. Yes, totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. I, I had to say yes in such a like shy tone because my mom says the same thing. Uh -huh. And then the last question was, do you believe in love at first sight? Which 75% said yes, whereas 25% no. The, there is another um, poll, but it was the same question. And actually 40% said yes and 60% said no. So there's a completely mm -hmm. opposite spectrum. Um, so why is there such polar? Because there is an element of instinctiveness and essence to when you relate to a person and you feel that love. Mm -hmm. But there are some that disregarded it seems yeah i think it'd be interesting to see what demographics were there like whether they were men or women and at what ages as well mm -hmm. right because i feel that men might have that element of love at first sight more than women because i feel like we are slightly more discerning and you know more maybe hesitant less trusting you know through life um so i think that maybe men could believe a little bit more in love at first sight and i mean helen fisher does talk about you know love at first sight possibly happening occurring within animals so biologically it seems that love at first sight is a thing right whereas in in real life practice uh it's clearly split which is very interesting yeah. but i also wonder if it's because some might not be opening their eyes to it or opening up or being reciprocating of it or receiving mm -hmm. and actually if we precisely if we talk about love in that greater essence right of mm -hmm. goodness then yeah there should be so much more love at first sight it should be love at first sight all the time where you just want to you know love every 
everyone, right? right. In a in a non like intimate way necessarily, <laughs> right? But um, but spread the love. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> then the world will be better. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. Um, we like to always end with some tangible tools mm-hmm. as to in this case, what are the solutions on how you can apply and receive love or feel love and give mm-hmm. love? Yeah. So a couple that I touched on, um, you know, yes, have your story, right? tell the story, the kind of love story that you want to live and try to find people around you that will be characters in that story with you, willing characters that will make it enjoyable, right? Um, The second one is definitely to do with, you know, love is a part of a full life. It isn't the entirety of your full life, right? So, you know, protect it, nurture it, though also develop other parts of your life as well, especially if it's it's in a little bit of a rough patch. Focus on other parts, you know, like delight your senses, right? Take on personal projects as well, right? And, and focus on those components. And, you know, also that careful of your self-sabotage, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Be aware of it. Surround yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Surround yourself with people who truly love you, you know, and who will want the best for you, wish good, do good, see good, and feel good towards you constantly and you to them who can protect you from yourself and uh, keep your sensors up for that. And really a huge tip that I have, like to really feel self-love is mother yourself, Right. See that ideal mother in your head. Right. Whether it's your mother or, you know, this fictional mother and speak to yourself the way that she would speak to you. Encourage yourself the way that she would encourage you and, you know, guide yourself in that way and then model that towards others. And that's pure love, I would say. I love that. Absolutely love that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. Can you share with us any upcoming exciting projects that you're working on currently or in the future? Yeah, definitely. We'll be posting things. Uh, I'll be posting things on LinkedIn, on my LinkedIn. and also Because you're not on social media. I'm not. Yeah, you're doing a social media class. Yes, it's like trying to find your handle and then I realized I don't have one. <laughs> exactly. I'm living online. in real life. Yes. I'm living in real life. Yes. yes. Enjoying it. Thing. So if people want to connect with you, where yeah. can they find you? Uh, LinkedIn and also via our website, our family website, which is www.jadad.com. And then you can find all of our companies, all our projects going on there. They're across the board from entertainment, healthcare, you know, youth, creation of new careers and you know how we can all live the fullest life possible as a part of a flourishing planet in our own way together amazing so that's the work that we're doing and on your linkedin you're taman jadad garcia correct amazing yes. well thank you so yeah. much for joining us thank here you so spreading much. the love yes. as always thank you for tuning in as well i'm yasmin tanras you can find me at yasmin tanras and do head over to our at talking ted talks platform on instagram and twitter and we won't be back next week because it's the fourth of july so be sure to celebrate and we'll see you the following week thank you Thanks. bye bye Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menounos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. (laughs) The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 